Let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to 1 Corinthians 11. And I think I'd like to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 11. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. I'm sorry, not the whole chapter, but beginning with verse 23 through verse 34. Um, No, I take it back, verses 17 through 34. So if you have a Bible, open. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it, for there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number asleep, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Now. Last week, we began uh, by looking at the statement, for I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. And what we learned is that, um, that the work of the church and of the officers of the church is essentially conservative work. It is to retain the pattern of sound words. We're not supposed to be inventive, we're not supposed to to be hip, we're not supposed to be known by the thickness of our eyeglass frames, we're not supposed to be known by the hipness of the externals of our church, we're not supposed to be copying postures, we're not supposed to be uh, nouveau, (laughs) we're supposed to be conservative, we're supposed to fine, faithful men who will themselves be able to teach the next generation so that the deposit that has been given to us faithfully, passed down to us faithfully, will be passed on. Our job is essentially conservative. 
we are to guard the good deposit that has been passed on to us. And so when the apostle says at the beginning of this text, there, uh, for I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, he is saying, forget me, I'm in between the master and you, and I am faithfully doing what he told me to do. I received the Lord that which also he gave to you. And you think, who's Paul? And Paul's nothing, Right? He is to guard the good deposit. He's to pass on. He's to find faithful men who will help him pass on. Everything he does is to conserve the truth of the word which has been revealed. Now what happens is that we get caught up in mimicking and aping the idols of this world. And education is an idol today. And education is driven by people claiming to have new insights, new truths, new perceptions, new theories. And so the church thinks if the church is going to be able to have PhDs listen to them, and who cares what people that live in double wides listen to us? We we don't give a rip if they listen to us. We want people with doctorates to listen to us. That what we need to do is claim that we have new truths and new insights and new perceptions and that we're brilliant as PhDs are brilliant, right? And so what will happen is you'll see this churning. And that's what the whole church growth movement is. It's like, well, forget the old in with the new. And so forget those old stodgy churches where you have to deal with legacy power structures. I don't have time with that. I'm going to do something new, right? And then the eyeglasses say new, and then the vocabulary, you know, narrative, meta-narrative, you know, uh, in the city for the city. Um, And so what happens is we betray the calling of God to faithfully pass on the old paths, the old truths, the deposit. Yesterday I got an envelope from my sister. And my mother's died, and so when my mother dies, the safety, or the safety deposit box gets open. And I, I get this envelope, and it's filled with all these old documents that my sister's passing on to me. And they're all my father's first. I, one document is from, now, Eric, I'm sure you know what this I bet nobody else knows what, from a prothonotary. The office of the prothonotary of the state of Pennsylvania. Huh? Does anybody have a clue? Chris? There's a bird that's a prothonotary. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I think that's how it's spelled. And what it is, is it's them giving my father permission to do business as uh, Windward Press back in 1960. And so there's a office of prothonotary in the state of Pennsylvania, and there's this document saying, yes, you may do business behind the name of uh, uh, Windward Press, and it is put in a safe deposit box, number of other documents in the state of Pennsylvania, so my dad could sell his book because nobody else would touch it. All right. And now I have that deposit passed on to me. And I tell you, I did not feel like I was hip. A lot of the paper was so old that, you know, you could tell it may be on the edge of crumbling. I didn't think I was cool. I didn't think I was young. 
I didn't think anything positive about myself except that I was now the one that had that security deposit box contents. And now I had to decide what to do with it. All the contracts, all the prothonator, all this stuff, right? There is nothing hip about passing on faithfully the deposit of God. There's nothing hip about it. It doesn't help you to do it faithfully because you have big eyeglasses. And so he says what? He says, I have received of the Lord. And it's funny, as you listen to him, you don't think about the Apostle Paul. What do you think about? You think about the Lord. And you think about the people who are now receiving it. And Paul just, he just recedes. You know, it's as if he has a hand, you know, and the movies sometimes. And you still see them. But you know that they're saying, don't look at me. And that's what the Apostle Paul's doing. Now, let me call your attention to the fact that he says, I have received that which also I deliver to you. All right? Essentially conservative. But now I want you to focus on another thing in the introduction, which is I. I. I receive from the Lord. Why did not the Apostle Paul say we? I mean, look, he's already passed it on, so, you know, we have received of the Lord. It could be the imperial we. It could be you and I have both received from the Lord, and, but he says I, and that I sticks out. And especially when I read it in the context of what comes before and what comes after. It's very clear that the Apostle Paul is scandalized by the division in the church at the Lord's table. That's what comes before. You've got rich people getting drunk because they have lots to eat. They're despising the church. They're despising the unity they have in the blood of Jesus Christ. They're despising the work of Christ, making them brothers and sisters together. They're whooping it up on their poorer cousins, brothers, by having a lot to drink, getting drunk, making a big display of how different they are from their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is like, I'm not going to commend you in this. For I have received, and now you hear the I, for I have received... Of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he he took bread. And then as I read to the end, you see that he returns to the theme of his authority over that flock and the scandal of what's going on in their church. And as soon as these words of institution are over, what does he say? He says, that's why some of you are sick and others of you have died. Now, what does that mean? Well, (laughs) If he says that's why, it means that the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the body of Christ is a matter of such seriousness to God that he will discipline his people by killing some of them and making others of them sick. It's undeniable. You read the chapter, it's so very clear. 
you're divided? Don't you remember what I delivered to you? That I received of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, this new covenant in my blood, and, and what are you doing? This is why some, if you had judged yourselves, you would not have had to be judged. But you failed to judge. And that's why some of you are sick and others of you are asleep. Listen, all of us are entirely dismissive about the authority of the church of Jesus Christ. We think that the church is the one elective authority, and the others are mandatory, core curriculum. We think that the church is a preference, a selection, an option, a generally helpful thought for the week. And no matter how hard we try, we can't get it into our minds that this table is to divide. And the reason is that we're all with Rodney King, you know, can't we all just get along? And here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is saying that the division of the Corinthians at that table, simply some of them getting drunk, and having a lot to eat and others having nothing, that that division caused some to die and others to get sick by the hand of God. And then he says, if you had judged yourselves, you would not have had to be judged. So that means that when the church refuses to judge herself, that God will take matters into his own hands. You know, think of South Africa. Got a bunch of South Africans here for the last week. We had some other South African here this morning. Got South Africans all over the place. And so in the South African church, what do you have? You have divisions between uh, colored and blacks and whites, right? And they're all Christians. And now what happens? Now in South Africa, what happens? South Africa is shot through with violent crime and with murder. And we think, well, come on, Tim, keep your spheres separate. That's the civil magistrate, and then there's the ecclesiastical, and then there's the family. And I say, yeah, you know, God has... God, I'm sure, can keep those things separately, you know. Now we think of Rwanda... A Christian nation. And then 750,000 of them are killed by their neighbors with machetes within, what, three months. And then we think about America. And the churches are filled with women who are taking Plan B and, and birth control pills and having abortions. And our babies are just dying, dying, dying by the millions. And... The Apostle Paul says that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And we say, well, abortion isn't a judgment, it's a choice. 
And I say, well, isn't that nice? I hope God was listening. And you say, don't be blasphemous. And I say, well, have you ever thought about God's wisdom, his omniscience? Have you ever thought about him saying that there's no place you can go to flee his presence? That if you go under the earth, he is there. If you go to the highest star, he is there. That if you dive under the mountains, there's no place to flee. He knows everything. And so we have all these Christian nations that are absolutely drowning in violence and blood. And the church is what? Well, the church is divided. It's rich and poor. That was the only division there was in the Corinthian church, you understand. And because of that, people were sick and died by the agency of God. It was a little thing there. It was just that some were getting drunk and had lots to eat and others had nothing. That was all. And God says in his word that that's why some of them were sick and others were dying. Are you with me? And so we just, you know, well, you know, you know, poor people like one kind of music and rich people and educated people like one kind of doctrine and rich people and, and you know, and I can't stand that woman. I wish she wouldn't wear that head covering. And why is he sitting in my seat? And do they have to turn the music up so loud? And I demand to have no gluten in my Lord's Supper. And we're homeschoolers, and we're Christian, and we're public schoolers. And, you know, I like, uh, you know, I was discussing um, the, the choices parents make in schooling this week with a man. Because I, I made an observation about a particular kind of schooling. And uh, if there is something to divide over, we'll divide over it. Demand breastfeeding versus scheduled breastfeeding. Whether or not to use that spinal tap. Whatever, what's that thing called? Huh? Epidural. Epidural, Yeah. I always think rock and roll, you know. <laughs> if we can divide over something, we'll divide over it, won't we? And the Apostle Paul is a faithful man. Why? Because he makes judgments. He judges the church. And why is he doing it? Well, here's an idea. Probably to keep more of them from going asleep and getting sick. And is that a good leader? I mean, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Civil Magistrate. <laughs> Listen, remember how a couple weeks ago on Father's Day I said that you must guard the sphere of sovereignty, especially of the home today when all of authority is sliding to Washington, D.C. and Indianapolis. Remember that? I said, fathers, guard the authority of your home. Now, here is a father of the church. And I tell you as household fathers that you are accountable to me. <laughs> so isn't it wonderful? As a husband, I get to tell Mary Lee to submit. As a father, I get to tell Heather to submit. <laughs> and 
And now, as your pastor, I get to tell you to submit. Including you, Michael. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. The Apostle Paul is an authority. And he doesn't, he doesn't namby-pamby it. He doesn't, like, molly-coddle you. He doesn't say, oh, I'm just so, I'm just so weak, but I guess I have the position. You know, that's how a pomo does it. It's so gay. He just says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. He says, I'm not happy with you. He says, I have received that which also. It is the blood of the new covenant. And he says, that's why some of you are sick enough, if you would judge yourself. And all of a sudden, everything he's saying is so completely integrated and so intense and so clear and so helpful that you forget the apostle Paul is there. Because it's not about him. Now, I will say to you that it's often the mistake of people to look at a church that has commitments that are biblical as opposed to all the churches that have unbiblical commitments and to mistake us for being a political force and for holding to family values. Do you understand? Well, they're Republican and they hold to family values and they think of themselves as better than other people and that's why they're down on homosexuality because they're all... breeders. (laughs) And so it's just a political trip. And here's where they're wrong, because when the Apostle Paul says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, the Apostle Paul is not doing what his wife told him to do. This has nothing to do with family values. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And this is authority over every single marriage, every single child, every single father. This is an authority that utterly trumps the authority of the Christian home. And it is in this authority of the church of Jesus Christ that an oppressed child and an oppressed wife finally is vindicated and receives justice. The Christian church does not give herself over to the idolatry of the Christian home. The Christian church does not give herself over to the idolatry of the wealth of this family, trumping the poverty of this one. Do you understand? The church is created by faith in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we are one. And we better be one. (laughs) And that means that the family declines, becomes subordinate 
And that finally, you have freedom from the oppression of your husband, of your mother, or of your children, or of your grandparents. Because God is no respecter of persons. And when you come to the table of our Lord, it doesn't matter what your mother thinks. What matters is what the fathers of the household of faith think. I, not the little lady and I, not your mother and I, not we. He has received from the Lord. He is an apostle. He is a pastor, an elder, and he has authority, and he rules the table for the glory of God. He is not subordinate to any woman as he does that. He is subordinate to the Father Almighty. And finally, every child and every wife says, thank God Almighty, I'm free. And then they go to the elders and they say, do you know what my husband is doing? And the elders go to the man and they say, you will not. And she says, well, that can't be right because I'm supposed to submit to my husband as unto the Lord. They say, well, yes, this is the Lord coming to your husband. Oh, no, 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 that's Tim Bailey or that's Dave Carell or that's Tim Wagner or Wayne Huck. And I say, the church is the authority of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, yeah, yeah, but it's beginning to sound cultish to me. And I say, how on earth could the church ever, ever read 1 Corinthians 11? What I just read to you and not appear to be a cult to a people who are giving every bit of authority to Washington, D.C. and totally running roughshod over every home, every marriage, and every mediating institution, especially the church. There's absolutely no way to be faithful as pastors and elders today without being accused of being a cult. Why? Well, because we command husbands to cease and desist. And that sounds like a cult to me. I mean, when you begin to trump the home, I thought we were about family values. (laughs) Are you telling that husband to cease and desist? His wife is supposed to submit to him. And I say, yeah, 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 yeah. And so is Sapphira supposed to submit to Ananias, right? And you say, yeah. And I say, well, then how come she died? You see, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. And long after your family of blood and of origin is gone, you will be nursing at the breast of the church of Jesus Christ. She is your mother. She is your mother. Love your mother. At the conference, we're going to give out a bumper sticker. It's the brilliance of the Wegners. And it's a picture of a steeple. And then it says underneath, love your mother. We're supposed to love the church. The church is the one place that can give us freedom from Tim Bailey, our father and husband. It's the one place that can shut him down. And you say, well, no, you're the big honcho. 
Nobody ever shuts you down. I say, okay. Yep. It's a cult. You're right. You know? <laughs> it's not about me. Postmoderns think everything is about them, and so they think everything's about me. Because if they were up here, it would be all about them. A thief thinks everybody steals. It's not about me. I am being helpful. Here's an idea. A preacher should be... Come on, give it the intonation. Thank you. (laughs) A preacher should be... A preacher should be... Here's an idea. A preacher should be... Helpful! Listen, if I was a cult leader, do you think I would do what I just did in front of you? <laughs> I mean, do you think, you know, we hear it again this week, Jim Jones, you know, one of, one of the men of this church that we're disciplining because of his utter wickedness to his wife, utter wickedness, then has the audacity to tell her that she's going under Jim Jones. Do you think Jim Jones ever looked at his congregation and said, here's an idea I should be? I mean, would anybody drink Kool-Aid from a guy like that? (laughs) It's insane. The Apostle Paul disappears. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. And you go, oh. That feels so good. It's not about him. He's just faithful. That's all he is. He's just faithful. I don't have to look at his sins and be scandalized because after all, he's just received from the Lord that which also he passed on to you. And the things you have heard from us that give them to reliable men who are able to teach, able to discipline, so that they'll be there for your grandchildren. And if I talk to you about your grandchildren, can you get on board with that? Don't we want our grandchildren to be able to hear the unadulterated word of God? Don't we want the church to survive? Don't we want our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, to be hearing the call of Jesus Christ to repent and to believe that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, therefore repent? And shouldn't fathers who absolutely refuse to repent. Fathers who shake their fist at God, who consume the lives of their children and their wives for their own loss. Shouldn't fathers have somebody that is able to stand in front of them and call them to account? And does it really only have to be the man with the gun? Can't there be some authority that comes just before the guy with the gun that throws him in prison? That's the church. And the church has no guns. The church has the communion table. It has the family meal, and that family meal is to divide. And it's to divide starting in the church. Why? Because if a man is going to come to the table self-evidently not discerning the body and blood of our Lord, which he had received from the Lord, and that he passed on, that the Lord Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, 
all right? If a man comes and consistently it's clear, and it takes usually two years to excommunicate somebody, two years of unbelievable work, all right? Finally, if the elders say, you may not come to this table because you are denying the one who bought you. You are denying that this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't everybody let out a sigh and say, thank God daddy's home. And you say, well, are you calling yourself daddy? And I'm saying, eh, yeah, but no. And you say, well, come on, make up your mind. I say, well, listen, we are delegated your authority. You are the assembly of Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5 about the man in incest, he says, expel the evil man. Do you remember that? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the senior pastor? Is he talking to the moderator of the elders board? Is he talking to the session, the entire elders board? Is he talking to the joint elders and deacons? Is he talking to deacons because... No, he's talking to the church. Expel the evil man. Drive him out. Where is he be, to be driven out from? He's to be driven out from the table, right? I mean, what's the significance of anything in the church if the table is dirty? Right? At your home, that's the one time you want to not have dog hair on the tablecloth. Let alone your father's paramour who is alienating his children from him because they love their mother. How would you feel if he brought his paramour, his lover, to dinner and sat her down next to him while the mother cooked and the mother disciplined the children and the mother cleaned the dishes and the mother set the food on the table and the mother said it's time to eat? The table of the Lord belongs to the Lord. And you, as a congregation, are to make sure that the sacraments divide. And you appoint men as elders in every city to do the division and the judgment in your behalf. And if it doesn't divide marriages, and if it doesn't divide fathers and children, I don't care what else it divides, because it's utterly failed. Because the, the family of man is subordinate to the household of faith. I mean, it's just so obvious, isn't it? <laughs> come on, come on. And what goes on in a church that's healthy, that's biblical, what goes on all the time is the children and the parents make a decision whether they're going to submit to the church or whether they're going to rule under their own authority. And you this morning are in play right now over that issue. Right now you're making a decision for your husband versus the elders. For your wife versus the elders. Elders are in play. Whether they're going to submit to the other elders or to their wife. Right? Come on, elders. Admit it. Oh, only one. Uh, you know, my first or second elders meeting in this community, the elders are constantly in conflict. And so we have a difficult meeting, they make a difficult decision, and I didn't have any vested interest, I was brand new in the church, but I was committed 
to the decision the elders had made. I got home and I got a phone call from one of the elders and, hey, Tim, what about da-da-da-da-da with that decision? And I said, well, you remember somebody else anticipated that objection and this was the answer the elders made to that. Oh, yeah, 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 just a second. Oh, hey, Tim, uh, what about da-da-da-da-da-da? And I said, well, yeah, that was brought up too. You remember that this is what was said. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Tim, well, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that time she, she just unburdened herself of all kinds of objections to the Board of Elders. Was that man in submission to the authority of Jesus Christ? No, he was not. Why? Because he decided instead of listening to God, he would listen to the voice of his wife. Do you remember what God says about Adam? Because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate of the tree. <laughs> you know? Listen, the church is the household of faith. It is the church of the living God. It is not the church of Tim Bailey. You know what I find myself doing more and more as I age? Is I'm constantly disciplining myself to never say this. My church. And so David and I were talking about needing to, to be concerned about the future leadership of our churches. And I was saying to David, you know, David, it's very difficult to not call it my church. And you go through all these, like, I love the word, circumlocutions, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. You, you, like, talk all around the eight ball trying to figure out a way of saying not my church. Not saying my church. Sorry. And David said, yeah, same thing with me. Why? This church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is under the authority of the word of God. And that's why it looks like a cult. That's the reason. We will not give in to your wife. We will not give in to your husband. We will not give in to your father or your mother. We will not give in to your children. We won't do it. Because it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And the Bible says not many of us should desire to be elders, preachers, teachers, for we may be certain that we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness. And then that wonderful statement, all of us often go wrong. James, I, beforehand I am not pleased some of you are getting drunk, you rich people, you are dividing the body of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, if you judged yourselves, you would not have, this is why some of you have died and others are sick. And then 1 Corinthians 5, halfway back to the beginning of the book, he says, expel the evil man from among you. The church does not exist to prop up 
your family values. The church is not an instrument of the Republican Party. This church is perpetually hemorrhaging people who choose their family of origin over the household of faith. And you think about what Jesus meant when he said that anybody that comes after him must take up his cross and that the man who saves his wife will lose her. And the man who loses his wife for his sake will find her. Now you know that's not what it says. It says that the man who saves his life will lose it. But the man who loses his life for his sake will find it. And so your wife, your husband, your children, your parents. So if you go back to 1 Corinthians 5, which is the same church, you'll find the Apostle Paul saying to the Corinthians this about horrible sin in their midst. He says this, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. In other words, you couldn't buy gas. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any brother, so-called, he says, any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. A man who calls the elders of this church who are serving him. Jim Jones? Is that not a reviler? Is that not a reviler? All right. Not even to eat with such a one. And then he says... For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Remember, judgment begins in the house of God, it says in 1 Peter. Are we not to judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside, God judges. And then the chapter ends with this command. It says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. But it's all in uppercase, right? If you've looked at it in your Bible, what, what does it mean when it's in uppercase? What that means is it's a quote from the Old Testament, right? And so you follow what? Footnote A under verse 13, right? Are you with me? And there, what do you find? Well, it takes you back to chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. So here's where the quote is from, all right? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them, then you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is what? He's testing you, all right? He's testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Okay? 
But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be what? Put to death. Because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. That's the quote. That's the quote. Purge the evil from among you. The man seducing them from their love of the true God is to be purged from among them. How? By being killed. The people are to stone him. And we go, oh, yeah, but but that's the God of the Old Testament, and he was nasty. But Jesus is grace and mercy. And I say, did you hear me tell you that a few verses from now, I read it at the beginning of the sermon, we hit the text where it says, that's why some of you have fallen asleep and others are sick. Some are sick, others asleep. Uh, In other words, apparently God is still in the habit of judging the scandalous betrayal of the blood and body of his son. And death and sickness are still involved. And if you don't know it, read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. There's a reason the very beginning of the church of Jesus Christ, the history, we find Ananias and Sapphira dying. Why? Because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit that they lied to? Well, it says about the conflict in Jerusalem when Antioch comes down and says, should, should they be circumcised? It says that when they got done having the argument and made the decision, they say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And so the Holy Spirit is present when we assemble. And the Holy Spirit judges our betrayal of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he sends us a wonderful prophet who says, if you would judge yourselves, you would not have to be judged. And we say, yeah, but we have doctors for things like that today. We don't have to obey the Lord anymore because now we understand that there's epilepsy and there's, and there's chemical imbalances and you can take drugs and you can have operations. I mean, you can even be large-chested, you know? You can have your drooping eyelids shaped again. You can have all the wrinkles pulled out and, and the, you know... I mean, there's just all kinds of ways of dealing with the judgments of God today. We don't need to fear him anymore. You have such a prehistoric mindset. You're such a Neanderthal, Tim. And the Apostle Paul didn't know about modern medicine. (laughs) And I tell you, Adam goes through his work as a doctor, and again and again and again, he sees the sickness and death that results from the betrayal of God. It's as evident to him as a smack in the face. And so here we are, Old Testament, and what does it say? It says, expel the evil man from among you. Are you with me? Are you with me? Come on, come on. You're with me. I'm not making it up, right? Now, I'm going to finish that chapter. Because I stopped at the easy easy place where it says, so you shall purge the evil from among you, and that's 1 Corinthians 5, purge the evil from among you. It's the quote. But I stopped Now listen to what comes immediately next. If your brother, your mother's son, 
or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or your friend who is at your own soul, entice you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods whom neither you nor your fathers have known of the gods of the peoples who are around you, near you, or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other. You shall not yield to them. (laughs) The household of God. It trumps the household of man. The church is not family values. All right? You shall not yield to him. And then it says, or listen to him. And then it says, and your eye shall not pity him. Come on, you guys. Who do you love? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who is your daddy? It's God. And once God is your daddy, you don't need to worry about your daddy. Do you understand me? Because God never fails you. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knows our frame that we are made of dust. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eye shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him. But you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hand of all the people. In other words, let judgment begin. Let it begin in the house of God. You, the wife, the brother, the son, shall be the first to pull out your sword. Remember the Levites after the golden calf? All right. So you shall stone him to death because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and will never again do such a wicked thing among you. The church is not family values. The church is not Republican. The church does not exist to placate your mother. The purpose of the elders is not to please their wives. I am not saying what Mary Lee wants me to say. The Apostle Paul had no wife. And he said, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. And in that space where that father of the household of faith, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, rules the household for the unity and peace, You finally have freedom from your wife, from your husband, from your mother, from your father. You have freedom to be submissive. But then when the elders call you in after your husband's been taken out dead and cold, you as a woman of God look at the elders and say, I told my husband not to do it, and you walk out alive. (laughs) Right? And then your husband has a wonderful wife who's what? (laughs) Helpful. (laughs) Because she says no to you. Because she has a master in heaven to whom she will give an account for her submission. And she knows that submission must stop when it comes to lying to the Holy Spirit about how much you got from the property. If that's a cult, give me it. It's just absurd. That's Jim Jones. Oh, yeah. You know, you imagine any homeschooling convention hearing what I just said? (laughs) Never happened. Okay. 
This afternoon, the elders are going to meet together to pray and just to try to recover from the difficulties recently. And so as, as they gather at 2.30, would you pray for them? Pray that they will be men and that they will fear God and not their wives, their children, not the people of the church, not our reputation. And uh, thank you for letting me love you. Um, thank you for telling me to preach to you and not resenting it when I do. And uh, thank you for loving your elders. Listen to them, for they keep watch over your soul as men who must what? Give an account. Make sure that it's a joy to them because of otherwise it's, it's of no benefit to you. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church of Jesus Christ and for her faithfulness to the word of God. We thank you that she examines everything like the noble Bereans to see if it is true. We pray that when I preach and every one of us preach that our people will grow each week in their self-critical and authority critical capacities that they will see if what has been preached to them is according to scripture and that they will cast it off if it is not but if it is father give us hearts of faith that we may believe and obey we pray for every marriage here this morning where wives husbands have been unwilling to submit to the betrayal of Jesus Christ of their spouses. We pray that you will give them faith that they will not be afraid. We pray for those who are in play today that you will give them faith to say no to the seduction of their souls and to keep their hearts pure as brides for the groom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.